0: follow along with me as I read God's word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Acacia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Maddie Moore sent me a sheet when I first uh, decided to come and be in an interim here. And on that sheet was a list of all of the books of the Bible. And uh, beside a lot of it, there was a date and she indicated that the date indicated that that was the time that Pastor Gary preached on that portion of Scripture and there were a lot of dates written across that because it covered the 23 years that he was here and all of the preaching that he had done and as I looked at that list I discovered that he never preached on 1st Thessalonians and I thought that's interesting I think I understand, perhaps, uh, because if he was like me, you look at the letter and you think, okay, the basic thrust of it is that uh, Christ is coming back. That's one of the key themes of the letter of 1 Thessalonians. But the more I looked at it, the more I realized that it is much, much more than that. Uh, The letter to the Thessalonians probably has some real relevance to Uh, grace point given some of the challenges you faced in the past months and what will be uh, the future what you'll be facing in the coming months as you begin to look for a a new lead pastor and as I reflected on it and read it several times I realized wow uh, this is the place to start in our time together it has a lot to do with the nature of the church it has a lot to do with the kinds of things that are appropriate in ministry and it also has a very important things to say about the foundation of the church being that of the gospel you know in the Bible there are churches that the Apostle Paul uh, was discouraged by and there were churches that the Apostle Paul was encouraged by. For example, as you read the letters to the Corinthian church, you find that it was a church that had some challenges and perhaps was a bit discouraging to the Apostle Paul. That's not the case with the the church in Thessalonica. He was joyful about it, he was encouraged by this church because it was a church that had uh, received the gospel and had, had been transformed by that message of good news. Uh, There are churches that have the right stuff, and then there are churches that don't. The Apostle Paul, three times in the letters to the Thessalonians, makes reference to how thankful he is for them. In chapter 1, verse 2, he says, We always thank God for all of you. Chapter 3, verse 9, he says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have had in the presence of our God because of you? And then in 2 Thessalonians 1, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. The Apostle Paul was very much encouraged by this church because of what this church was. And so I wondered this morning, what kind of a church is Grace Point? Is it a Thessalonica church or is it a Corinthian church? I'm new, I don't know. But I do know that God knows, and I think as we move forward, I trust that Grace Point is a Thessalonica church. It's a church where the message of the gospel, the good news that was preached by the Apostle Paul, transformed it. Thessalonica was a church that was built upon the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had a bit of a dilemma as I started working on this message, and I told Maddie I just about decided I had to do two messages on it because of the fact that it talks about the church, it talks about what happened as a result of the message, and it focuses on the people of God in Thessalonica. But it also focuses on the message that Paul brought that transformed those people into the people of God into the church at Thessalonica. Just a little background about this church. If you go back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16 we read how the Apostle Paul and Silas had been in in Philippi and you remember the story of how they cast a demon out of a, a young lady and it created all kinds of turmoil in the city and they ended up in prison and as they were singing in prison at night, there was an earthquake that opened the doors, and they were released, and the jailer came to faith in Christ. And then they moved on from there, and in chapter 17 of Acts, you'll find that uh, he moved to Thessalonica. He was there for about three weeks, preaching in the synagogue, and then turmoil began to develop there because of the Jewish leaders who objected to the message of the gospel, that good news that he was preaching. And began to chase him out, and they uh, ended up having to leave, perhaps after a, a, an extended more period of time, not very long, in the, in the house of Jason, uh, teaching and preaching the good news, that message of the gospel. And then at the end of chapter 17, it says that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy most likely moved on to Athens and left. Uh, after going to Berea and then to to Athens. And it's in Athens that Paul is concerned a little bit about this church, wants to know how they're doing. And so he sends Timothy back, and Timothy is to report, and he takes the letter that we're going to be looking at with him as he goes to, uh, uh, to Thessalonica. And so let's open the book and look at the text itself. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd invite you to turn to it. Uh, The introduction of the book is very similar to what we normally have, and it tells us in verses 1 through 4 how the message of the gospel, how that good news impacted the people in Thessalonica and brought the church into existence. In chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he says this is a, a letter from Paul and Silas and Timothy. And it's written to the church in Thessalonica, you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours. Just a quick note, the church, the people of God, were a people in a specific location. They were a people in Thessalonica. The church is always rooted in a specific geographical location. It is the people in the city of Thessalonica, but it is also a people who, according to what Paul is saying here, belong to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Grace Point is the church in Ephrata, but it is also a people who are rooted in God. What kind of a relationship is Paul indicating here when he says that they are a people in Thessalonica, but also in God? It's not a spatial term. The church is not somehow inside of God. Nor does it seem to mean any, uh, that the church was only founded on God. It's not simply that the people who have responded to the message are belong to God, But perhaps it's that they are rooted in and draw their life from God. Perhaps Paul is using the image here that Jesus used in John chapter 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and you abide in me. The branches draw the life from the vine. And it is being rooted in God, rooted in the vine, that maintains an intimacy with God that will enable not only the Thessalonians, but Grace Point to handle whatever comes in the future. It's coming to the fact that we want an intimacy with God. And that intimacy with God enables us to look to the future and say, whatever may come, we can draw our strength from the Lord. And so it is a church that is in Thessalonica, but it is also in God. That intimacy with God, according to Paul, produces activity. He says they were distinguished by faith, love, and hope. That's a triad that's used often in the scriptures. Uh, you go to the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now abides faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. It's interesting that the order here is different. It's not faith, hope, love. It's faith, love, hope. If you follow out the rest of the text of the book of First Thessalonians, we discover that that's the major focus. It's hope, and so he ends with this idea of hope. But the triad, faith, love, hope, is one that is found throughout the scriptures. And as Calvin says, from this... Triad, we gain a brief definition of Christianity itself. That's a good summary of the church as he breaks it up. The work of faith. Faith is at work in you. Faith without works is dead. The earnest faith is full of power, and it doesn't stop when it sees a neighbor in help in, in, in need of help. The labor of love. The godly are all strenuously occupied in the duties of love and that's how they spend their energies. The church is burdened with many afflictions, stripped with wealth, uh, stripped of its wealth and exiled from their homes. That was the experience of the Thessalonians. But yet, even though they seemed to be weak and defenseless, they had plenty of opportunities to show love to one another. Love as an action is hard work. To act on the on the best interest of others feels like exhausting labor. There's a story that's told of a man who once stayed at a Bulgarian peasant's house and all the time he was there the daughter was busy stitching away on a dress. And he said to her, don't you ever get tired of eternal sewing? Oh no, she said. You see, this is my wedding dress. Love enables us to serve in a very strong kind of way. And then he says that it's endurance inspired by hope. Intent on hope is a manifestation of our love for Christ. It helps us arise above the wearisome delays and the temptations of this world. Barclay says, it is the spirit of hope which can bear things not simply with resignation, but with a blazing hope. George Matheson was the great Scottish hymn writer and he wrote, oh love that will not let me go, when he was stricken with blindness and disappointed in his life. And he wrote a prayer in which he pleased that he might accept God's will, not with dumb resignation, but with holy joy, Not with the absence of the murmur, but with a song of praise. Intimacy with God produces action, faith, love, and hope. And then he says in verse 4, We know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that he chose you to be his own people. This becomes the foundation and the transformation that happens when we hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. People come to experience the love of God and his calling through the gospel. And it is this which becomes the foundation of the church. We know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that he chose you to be his people. The gospel becomes the foundation of the church. The gospel becomes the place in which the church is established. Henry Nouwen wrote, There is a voice that speaks from above and from within, and that whispers softly or declares loudly, You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. It is certainly not easy to hear that voice in the world filled with voices that shout, you are no good, you're ugly, you're worthless, you are despicable, you are nobody. Unless you can demonstrate the opposite. Though the experience of being beloved has never been absent from my life, I never have claimed it as my core and I keep running around in large and small circles, always looking for someone or something to convince me of my belovedness. It was as if I kept refusing to hear the voice that speaks from the very depth of my being, saying, "You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests." That voice is always there, but it seemed that it was much, I was much more eager to listen to others' louder voices. Prove that you are worth something. Do something relevant, spectacular, powerful, and they will earn your love. That will earn the love you deserve. Meanwhile there's that soft gentle voice speaking in the silence and the solitude of my heart reminding it remaining unheard often or at least convincing that is the word of the gospel Jesus Christ came and offered himself as a sacrifice for us and in so doing said to us there's nothing that you need to do to earn my love you are my beloved and I ask you simply to hear my voice receive that forgiveness and know that you are called and that you are loved by me and it's the people who have seen that and understand that and feel that in the very depths of their being that are called out and gathered together and become the church And there's nothing more important for the church to focus upon than that message, that good news of the gospel, because it's that message that makes a church. A group of people who do anything other than declare that are less than the church. How is the message proclaimed? The next point I want to share is that in verse 5, Paul says, when I came to you, I... Declared this good message in some very specific ways. He says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power, for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Four things he's telling us here about the way in which the gospel was proclaimed by Paul. He said, It was proclaimed with power, more than words. Words are good. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. But in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 14, he talks about and those who, who believe the gospel are the ones who will be saved. But he says, how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless somebody preaches? So it is through preaching, it's through the word proclaimed that people come to faith. But Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, it is nothing. It's not simply speaking, but it is speaking with power. Love is the power that moves people as they hear the words. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. It is often dangerous, I think, for us to think that we can rationally, through apologetics or whatever kinds of arguments we have, to give, convince people to, to, to follow the Lord. Yes, it's important to have good arguments, but we can argue, and I know as a young Christian, oftentimes I spend a lot of time trying to convince people. But the scriptures make it clear that it's not only with words, but it is with power, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and that he would convince the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And before he left, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be, he will give you power to be witnesses to me. It's the Spirit of God that comes and gives the power to convince the world of its sin, its righteousness and judgment. You go through the book of Acts, you'll find that there are many times where the apostles argued, persuaded, used words. But then you also find another track where it talks about the Spirit of God with power coming to convince people of their need of Christ. With deep conviction or deep assurance, Paul says, they came and spoke with a conviction that made it possible for the Thessalonians to be assured that the word that Paul was giving them was true. The power of the Holy Spirit was behind those words. And then he says, you know how we lived among you. In those days, there were a lot of traveling philosophers and speakers who wandered about and used their trade for the sake of their own interest. The Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy were different. They carried on their task for the sake of the people that they might be saved. It matters how we present the gospel. With words, with power through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, with deep conviction that we are convinced of the truth of God's word. Paul preached this message It began to transform the people in Thessalonica. And they received it. And they received it in a specific kind of way. Paul tells us about that in verse 6. He says, So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought you. In this way you imitated both us and Christ. as the people of Thessalonica heard Paul's message, they received it with joy. When you know that you have been loved and accepted by God because of what he has done on your behalf, it will bring joy into your life and you will be able to maintain that joy even in the midst of tough times. In spite of suffering, authentic discipleship is verified by how we do in life's tight places. Can we joyfully follow the Lord in tough times? And then he says, you became imitators of us and of Christ. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had been physically present with them. And even before the Thessalonians were converted, they had taken notice of the earnestness and the devotion and the enthusiasm and the willingness to suffer for Christ which had been seen in Paul and Silas and Timothy. And so they decided that it was worth following them and not only them but also to follow Christ. Paul says in another place, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In one of the books of church discipline or church order Uh, there's a service order for the installation of a new pastor and in the uh, dialogue that takes place in the process of that installation uh, these words are found it says will you follow this person insofar as they follow Christ And as you think about a new pastor and calling a new pastor, you find someone who is imitating Christ in such a way that you can follow that person as much as they follow Christ. One author calls it the fine art of followership. Thomas Kempis said true discipleship is the imitation of Christ. Finally in verses 7 and following, by the way this whole section from verse 2 all the way through to the end of the chapter is one sentence in the Greek. It's broken up as we look at it but it's one sentence. In verses 7 through 10 Paul explains how the gospel was extended by this church then beyond themselves. They were a people who were impacting the world. How did they do that? Well first by example. The imitators became the imitated. The Greek word here is tupos. It originally meant the impression that somebody makes when you strike a blow or is when you make a dent in a piece of wood by hitting it with a hammer. Then it came to refer to an official seal or a document which was sealed. Does our life leave an impression, an indelible mark on others? The gospel that makes a difference begins by making a difference in our lives to such an extent that we have a desire to see that difference in others as well. He says that the word came ringing out from you to people everywhere. It's like the sound of the trumpet or thunder reverberates and echoes. And then he says, Your faith in God was known. You turned away from idols to serve the living God. And finally, what happened was they became people of hope for the future. They looked forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message that makes a difference it creates a people who know that they are loved and chosen by God who understand that he has forgiven them and drawn them together to live a life of joy even in the midst of hardship even in the midst of difficulties to such an extent that they are are known around the world because of the joy and the hope that they have. And other people began to respond. And so this morning, the question is, how has the good news of the gospel impacted your life? Has the good news transformed you so that you know that you are loved and beloved? You are Christ and God's beloved. And that he has chosen you to be His child is the message of the gospel the message that Grace Point will herald through the days ahead whatever may come and being built on the foundation of the gospel will make Grace Point Church a point of grace Pray, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have let us know that it is through the gospel, the reception of the gospel, that we find hope, that we experience joy and live through suffering and hardship, and that we become those who trumpet the gospel, and that That message is known uh, beyond the walls of this church because it heralds it to the community at large. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of the good news in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our benediction this morning is from First Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His
0: saints.